G'day friends in Witter and Nambour and all over, I'm Pastor Matt Teeley and we're celebrating a thing called Reformation, which is all about how God, the Holy Spirit, through the work of Jesus Christ, brings change into the world and brings love and grace and forgiveness and brings the presence of God. So today, as we celebrate Reformation, I want to ask a question. How do we respond to a changing world? With so much going on, with so many changes in our country and our culture, how do we as Christians stay true to the message of God's love and respond to that changing world? That's what I want to discuss with you. But first up, what's the biggest change that you've seen in your lifetime? You might like to pause the video just right now and just discuss this question. What's the biggest change that you have seen in your lifetime? I want to share with you a change that happened in 2007. A lot of people haven't noticed it, but 15 years ago, the world changed incredibly. It changed in a way that a lot of people didn't notice at first. It was a small thing that grew and grew and grew and grew. But now I honestly think you could divide the world into BI, before this thing, and AI, after this thing. Because one of the biggest shifts in our culture and the way we think and communicate and work happened in 2007. You need to think really hard and see if you can work out what it is because a new world was born around that year. 15 years ago, in only 15 years, a new culture has started in the Western world, in Australia and America and the UK, all over the world in fact. A new culture arose that has gradually grown and grown and grown and become the dominant way that we do things. Now before 2007, this change that I want to share was already beginning. I mean, email had already come along and taken over written communication 10 to 1 in the workplace. In the book iGen, Jean Tweng says that 2007 marked a huge change in culture. And one of the ways that you can see that is because at that very point, all of a sudden anxiety and depression and mental health disorders started to rise and rise and rise. A thing happened in that year that triggered a big change in people's mental health. And particularly in the youngest generations, in the youngest generations in the Western world, mental health started going wrong, really bad, and growing and growing. And something new had started, and as this new thing started and grew and grew, mental health declined. Right, have you guessed it? It was the release of the very first iPhone. The very first iPhone in 2007 was really the beginning of workable smartphone technology. I was one of those tech lovers and I, I do remember having a smartphone before that. But 2007 marked the point where smartphone technology got good enough that everyone could get it and everyone could use it and it suddenly became necessary. All of a sudden from 2007, everyone had email in their pocket, messaging in their pocket, camera in their pocket, maps in their pocket, and a big thing, a new thing in their pocket, social media. And so 2007 marks the beginning of a rise of constant and instant communication, constant and instant news, always in your pocket, always with you, constant and instant sharing. And so ever since that, a thing has grown where you can just pull this thing out of your pocket and take a photo of every moment. And so since that time, 
The idea that lives are something to be recorded and curated and presented has grown and grown. And social media has meant the growing of the idea that we share all of our moments publicly. The idea of privacy has decreased since 2007 because honestly, if you're carrying a smartphone, you really don't have much privacy. You can be tracked. It's as simple as that. The rise of smartphone, mobile technology meant that we all have the internet everywhere all the time. It was around about 2008 that I can remember my first family dinner with the Teeley family where someone debated a fact and someone else pulled out a smartphone and said, let's Google it. This was a change in culture and the way we think. And what had really changed was not just that we were now constantly available, constantly communicating and expected to respond. Information, information overload in our pockets, in our faces, addictively all the time. And not just information, but misinformation as well. So it may not be the biggest change in recent history, but 2007, the rise of the smartphone began to change almost everything about the way we relate. And on top of that change, another change came in 2019, which accelerated all the former changes even more. What happened in 2019, people? It was COVID. See, when COVID came along, all those things that had started to change with internet, mobile devices, iPhones, smartphones, all that stuff suddenly became not just an option, but it became necessary in so many ways. And so here we are on Reformation Day and we are in churches that are radically different to what they were 15 years ago. 15 years ago, you weren't getting a, a local average pastor popping his sermon up on a video and watching it. The tech just wasn't that good. <laughs> Everything's changing and everything has changed. And so the question that I have for you is how do we relate to the world? How do Christians who are committed to an ancient, solid, consistent, faithful way of living, how do we relate to the world? And especially, how do we relate to a changing world? Well, Jesus addresses this in a lot of ways, but particularly in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying. They call this his high priestly prayer. Jesus is praying for us, for his disciples and his followers of all time. And Jesus says, Lord God, Heavenly Father, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. He says, I don't want you to take them out of the, the daily grind and the change that the world represents. Jesus says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Make them holy by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now, in this passage, we get some absolute foundational thinking for how we, Christians, committed to the one and only true God of grace, relate to a world that is constantly finding new ways to be crazy and sinful. So, the two key words we need to notice is, first of all, the word into. Take a close look at that Bible verse. Can you see the word into? How many times? It's there at the end. Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So Jesus says, listen, I've chosen to be in the world. I've been sent in to the world. 
and my followers are gonna be in the world. They're not gonna escape all the changes. They're gonna to have to relate to them faithfully. The other word that I want you to notice there is the word of. It's there three times, can you find it? Jesus says, as he prays to the Father, Father, I, I don't ask that you take them out of the world. No. I want you to leave them in the world. He says, my followers are not of the world, even as I am not of it. And from this verse, Christians have got the famous words of Jesus and the famous principle for following him, that we are in the world, but not of the world. Would you say this with me? In the world, but not of the world. So how do we respond to the world around us that is constantly finding new ways to challenge our faith, that is constantly changing? How do we respond to the world and how do we learn to live in it, but not be of it? I want to give you four ways that don't work and one that does. Here we go. The first way that many followers of Jesus try that doesn't work is called ignorance mode. Where does the word ignorance come from? It comes from the word ignore. And so many followers of Jesus choose to ignore the changes around them, to ignore the culture around them, to ignore what's going on around them. Some followers of Jesus choose ignorance. They're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. These sort of followers of Jesus might only talk to people of the same faith as them. They might only listen to media from what they think is safe sources or Christian sources. They might only listen to Christian music. They might ignore anyone who doesn't fit their faith. Some examples of this might be certain Amish or certain Mennonite Christians. Recently, though, this has become a path that some famous Christians have been recommending. So a book came out called The Benedict Option. And the writer of this book says that we should be like St. Benedict and the Benedictines, who he says built monasteries and hid away from the world in the Middle Ages. Now he's wrong about the Benedictines because I know some beautiful Benedictines and they don't hide from the world. But this writer says the best thing that Christians could do is some sort of ignorance. Just completely ignore the world and get on with our own lives. What would Martin Luther say? Well, he started as a monk, hiding away in a cloister, ignoring the world to some degree. But when he heard the message of Jesus, the grace of God and the love of God, he specifically chose to leave that protected, ignorant life. So Martin Luther said, in order to bring God's grace to people, I need to be in the world. You can't share God's love unless you're in it with people. I actually wonder if to, re to, to deliberately choose to completely ignore the world, to ignore your neighbours, to ignore those people who are different than you, who have different ideas about sexuality and gender and whatever it might be, but to completely avoid them and ignore them. I wonder if that's even actually following Jesus. Now, many Lutheran churches have chosen this path of ignorance. Our churches continue to live like it's the 1950s and be ignorant of all the changes around us. This 
doesn't work because Jesus has called us to be in the world and we can't attempt to not be in the world because we will be anyway. So that's the first one that doesn't work, ignorance mode. The second one I call conforming mode. This is the complete opposite of ignorance mode. In conforming mode, we know all about the world, we know all about the technology, we know all about the movies and the culture and all the things that people now do and love. We know all about that and we want to be just like that. We uncritically adopt the ways of the world around us. This would be a bit like if I moved to Surface Paradise and I got surfy clothes and a fake tan. I carried around a surfing board, even though I can't ride one. I smoked pot and I ate sushi. I mean, that would be totally wrong and totally fake for me. This is what some followers of Jesus attempt to do. They attempt to look like the world and sound like the world and conform to the world. And some preachers are even acting as if Jesus is whatever you want him to be. But Jesus calls us to something different. Jesus calls us to be in the world, but not exactly like everyone around us. You know, I'm not originally a Queenslander. Where I come from, they say school, not school. And they say pool, not pool. But I love Queensland. I'm a Queenslander now for a quarter of a century. And I'm in Queensland. And I love Queensland. That's the healthy incarnational sharing attitude that Christians need to being in the world with people. We're a part of it. But I'm not exactly the same as all Queenslanders. <laughs> and that's the truth. So followers of Jesus need to thoughtfully and critically examine the changes and the culture around us and decide what we can use and what we can't. One thing that concerns me is that if you've decided to live so much exactly like everyone around you, you've become of the world and you may lose your gracefulness over time. So that's the second way that doesn't work is conforming mode. The third way to relate to the world and the changes around us, I call protection mode. This is when we are very aware of the changes. We know what's going on around us, but we try at all costs to protect ourselves from it. We try to be in the world, but we're always against the world. We protect ourselves. People know we're different. We haven't pretended we're the same like the last one, but we're always fighting, always protecting, always railing, always anti. And yes, there are things in the world that are sinful and wrong and to be rejected. But you know, the follower of Jesus that's always judging, always negative, doesn't seem to understand that God so loved the world. Hear that? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to be in the world with us. We can't protect ourselves from everything. In fact, attempting to prioritize our safety and protect ourselves from everything around us and from people around us and from changes around us may not be faithful to Jesus. Sometimes parent, a parent will come to me and they'll say, oh, my daughter's just asked about blah, whatever blah might be. And she says, I don't know what to do. I need to stop her having any contact with this issue with blah ever again. And I'll often gently say to a parent in that position, listen, it's too late, your child's in the world. 
you don't want to encourage contact with that thing maybe, but it's time to be in the world with her and to discuss it openly and honestly and to compare it with the life of Jesus. You can't protect your kids forever by locking them in the garage until all of a sudden they're 21. And if you do, I tell you, they'll make mistakes anyway. (laughs) And you can't protect yourself from everyone around you. If we live a life trying to protect ourselves from all the people around us, we're of no good to them. And we can't be bringing God's love and grace to them. And that's why I'm so fully in into the ministry in the town where I am, getting to know Orange Sky Laundry, getting to know the people who come to Daily Bread, getting to know the other churches, getting to know the local member of parliament and the community centre and Sunny Street. Because I want to be in the world, but I want to be bringing it something new. So protection mode doesn't work. And the final way that doesn't work is dominance mode. Dominance mode is where we decide that Jesus said we're going to be in the world and we're going to run the world. We're going to be in control of the world. We're going to be in charge. Shortly after 300 AD, there was an example of this. There was the great Roman Emperor Constantine and he decided that he was a Christian and he declared that Christianity would be the official state religion of the Roman Empire. And I think this was a bad idea because it was government in bed with religion, which is always a bad recipe, but even worse, it was taking Jesus who came as a servant and trying to make him the dominator. You know, forcing people to believe never works. I'm sure it's been done to you. People in dominance mode, they want to fight the people who don't believe what they do and they want to beat them. They want to make them submit. They want to win. They want dominance. And there are examples of this in Australian culture right now where we see certain churches or certain political Christians who think that we should tell everybody that they have to do what we think, as if we should run the culture and the country. But this is not how Jesus did it. Jesus did not bring grace by dominating and defeating people. He won by losing. He won by dying. He won by serving. He won by giving his very own body and blood. We don't win people to God's grace by winning over them. When people want to share with us their beliefs, we invite, we listen, we come as equals, as God has chosen in Jesus Christ to come down from his throne and come to us as an equal, no longer coming to us as a dominator, which he has all the right to do, but instead coming as a servant. So, how do we relate to the changes around us? How do we relate to the crazy culture in which we live? And how do we do that faithfully as followers of Jesus? Well, there are four ways people have tried that don't work. There's ignorance mode, conforming mode, protection mode, and dominance mode. You might like to pause for a moment now before we finish. And I'd like to ask you, which of these do you fear that our church may fall into? Or which of these is most attractive to you? Which of these mistakes is most attractive to you? So two questions you might like to discuss. You can hit the pause button now. And which of these do you feel your church or our church might fall into? And which of these might you fall into?
let's finish with something so good because Jesus is alive, he is risen, and he is with us. He has defeated sin and death and Satan and all that stands against us. So we don't need to hide from the world in ignorance. We don't need to conform with the world and be exactly like the evil around us. We don't need to protect ourselves as the highest priority because Jesus has already won. And we don't need to attempt to defeat and smash and dominate the world because Jesus Christ has died and risen as and is enthroned. No, what Christians do is grace mode. Grace mode is what Jesus meant when he said, be in the world, but not of the world. Grace is who Jesus is. He's God who comes down to be with us in the world like us to save the world. For God did not come into the world to judge the world, but to save it, says uh, John 3.17. Jesus is God who is in the world with us in the blood and sweat and tears. But he's God who is not quite like us, but brings grace and forgiveness and life and hope and the Holy Spirit. And this is what we're called to do. We are called to be in the world in the rough and tumble with people, just as they are, just as we are. But we're also called to stay centered on Jesus and the grace that makes him and us different. I met the mechanic that I go to by a miracle, which is another story. But he's a brilliant mechanic. He's a fair income Aussie bloke. There's nothing he can't fix. And he's just a great, classic, brilliant Aussie. But at the same time, his heart is full of grace and his mind is on higher things. He's in the mechanic workshop. He's in the world with the blokes, but he's bringing something better. He's bringing hope and encouragement into that situation. He's in the world, but he's not of the world. I recently met a woman who has chosen to be on the streets with the homeless in my area. And she sits, she eats, she walks, she lives with them. She listens, she counsels, she encourages, she assists them day after day. But she has chosen not to become crude or offensive, not to buy into the um, absolutely filthy, uh, sexually laden, swearing kind of culture that often permeates that situation. She has chosen not to get into the alcohol, alcoholism or the drug addiction of many of those around her or to make the choices that they do. She's chosen to be in with the street people, but not of everything that they are, but instead to bring them love and grace and something new. I know a bloke called Ron, He's in the world, but he's not of the world. He lives in a nursing home and it must be hard. I can't imagine what it is to be in there without your family. But you know what? He's kind to the staff. He prays for all those around him and he brings a heart of compassion and encouragement into that place because he's in the world and not of the world. And what about us and what about our churches? As our little Lutheran churches approach the future, Let's be open to the world around us. Let's not be afraid of them, protect ourselves from them. Let's not conform to them exactly. And let's not be in ignorance of them. But let's be in the world, boots and all, but uncompromisingly different as we bring a life of forgiveness 
and love. That is how followers of Jesus respond to the change around us. Can you think of some examples of how we can be in the world, but not of the world? How we can bring grace? Amen.